Good evening, good morrow, and good morning. Coming to you live from Olive Branch Lodge number... 16. Beautiful. We've got the one and the only, the most metal of all of our Masonic TikTok warriors and sword bearers. Check it the fuck out. Yes. Dude, that, oh, that, all right. We, yeah. I, I was like, wait, oh, damn. Yeah. Got, I have to get my lodge up to speed, man. We're still rocking flannels. Like, no. <laughs> Modern century. <laughs> well, welcome everyone and thank you for joining us tonight. What we are doing here is we're continuing uh, a brief conversation that me and Brother Rizzatello struck up, and this is about darkness and light, one of my favorite topics here. So I'm going to start this off with a question. What to you, Brother, is the purpose of light, and how often do you find yourself surrounded in a place whereby you're seeking? Okay, so this topic, the reason I brought this up to you uh, the other day was it seems that a lot of individuals, especially on our social media pages where we're more public, like to broach the subject of the checkered floor in our lodges, broach the subject of light versus dark, good versus evil, the duality of man, et cetera, et cetera. So typically as Masons, we consider light to be truth or knowledge pure knowledge, as in, as in the, the good knowledge, the, 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 the closer light comes from the most high, whomever you may describe that to be, God, Buddha, whomever. Yeah, light so, is liquid. Exactly. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a blessing onto you and you're, you, are, you are warmed by it. You are, um, you are brought to truth by it. You are, you know, things are shown to you like showing a flashlight, trying to find something. Things are shown to you. So in that sense of metaphor that's where i go when someone would approach me with a question like what do you consider light so why because i mean it's very typical within the craft right light and synonymous it's i mean it's 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 in our symbology it's in our lectures it's in our language light what do you seek light this is why you're here right so what we don't often talk about is darkness and the purpose to darkness, right? The place you were before and likewise, where you are bound to go again. You talked about the checkered floor and that is one of my favorite, very discreet Masonic symbols. Uh, this. So I think that people, uh, people think of darkness as pure evil and it isn't. I mean, yes, there is evil in darkness, Duh, that's just that's just a, a connotation that your mind makes immediately because our ancestors way back when we were cavemen were afraid of the dark because predators were out there. You know, so naturally darkness and, and loss of light or, uh, uh, or um, absence of light would be a dangerous thing. So, but I don't think that it's, it should be taken that negatively. Say, take, for instance, um, you're hoodwinked when you're first brought into the lodge, and then subsequently through each other degree, you're hoodwinked. There's a reason for that. We are, we are bringing you to light. We are showing you truth, because previously you did not know these truths or these ideas or subject matter. You may have had an inkling of it. You may have had a little, you know, Milwaukee flashlight and saw some stuff on the <laughs> internet, but you don't know how we will give it to you, we as Masons. And in a similar vein, I think, I like the phrase that there cannot be shadow without light. 
because once you metaphorically go to this place of pure unadulterated light, the sun, for instance, it is pure unadulterated light energy. You are just enveloped in this. There's nothing left to learn. You're perfect. And once you become perfect, you're no fun anymore. There's, I mean, there's, that, that's it. That's the end. You're done. What I like a lot about this, 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 uh, this, the visuals which come with the way you describe this, right? Is because I, I oftentimes I imagine, you know, you're quite literally walking towards the sun. At a certain point in time, it's going to be really, really fucking dark. You're, 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 you're traveling vast wastes of space, right? There is nothing around you outside of this single, very finite point, often on a horizon. You can't North get star. There you go. You're following the star. And as such, every step you get closer and closer and closer towards it, this light is becoming brighter, but it's becoming more and more all-encompassing, right? You know, it starts to almost blind you. Oftentimes, the light is something whereby you know, we, we seek the light, we want the light. If we got the light straight on, we couldn't see anymore, right? You, you would, there's nothing left for you to do, like you described. You have you have attained that which you seek to attain. In certain cases, if it's death by fire, then let it be. Or as but Metallica we, says, it's the light in front of the train that's coming down the tracks at you shit no it, that's more often not so if we let's let's look at light as a realization so you're talking mean, you know there is there is kind of the forced from darkness to light was like listen i'm a blindfold your ass and then at this point in time you are now in darkness i can create almost like a, a synthetic experience here but in life it's very raw right you know bite mm -hmm. the pillow we're going in it does not give you that kindness. Nine times out of 10, the light at the end of the tunnel is something coming to plow your ass down. It's abrasive. It's, it's very abrasive. And um, at least within the fraternity, when, you, when you're hoodwinked and you're being brought into, as we say, the metaphorical light of the lodge, you are at least in New Jersey, for, we have this thing called the, um, um, uh, I can't think of the name of it, uh, the interrogatory which is a series of questions and statements that uh, our senior master of ceremony is to say to the new initiate. Uh, other states, they don't have senior master ceremonies. They have the, um, uh, the stewards do it, this, this portion of the degree work. Um, but it's a series of questions that you are asked before you even step foot in the lodge as a candidate. And you are told that, you know, okay, it, yeah, you know, it might seem scary at first, but don't worry about it. There's always going to be somebody there guiding you. There's always going to be some hand on you. Um, and you're also kind of pushed to the idea of give up your sight. Don't look for light and use your other senses, smelling, oh. hearing, things like that. So in a negative way, as we just discussed, light can be bad. It's blinding you don't get to see or experience the other things around you they say don't look at the sun because it hurts you because it's a legitimate <laughs> thing you're supposed to see and understand the sun by looking at everything it does not by direct contact right and if it is it's through multiple different lenses to bring the strength of the sun down <laughs> you know it's there, there's <laughs> exactly. a process to that right? lever <laughs> wrong lever 
So this is that part where I think we get into a really interesting kind of dynamic today, right? Where there is truth. There is this, this process of, of revelation and understanding and discovering light. But oftentimes we're looking through it with the wrong senses. We're looking through it with the wrong space. You know, if you're in a pitch black room, you know, insert sensory deprivation chamber, so to speak, how do you navigate the dark? Exactly. How does one know a mason in the dark as well as in the light? Same situation. You have to use your other senses. You have to use your hearing and your touch, smell possibly, taste possibly, depending on your situation. So a food may look good because you see it, but then once you try to ingest it, your body rejects it because it's poison. So... Mm -hmm. Oh, that could turn into a whole ass tangent. I, but you're right, right? You have to you have to engage with it, but you have to be able to gain the ability to understand something beyond these base senses, right? Beyond these base, almost animalistic drives. So I think this is a really interesting connection when you look in the craft and the way that it teaches the construction of the moral self, something that is not physical, it is not inherently emotional, right? But it is in fact this in what's the right word for it? It's, it's a little something different, right? You're having to engage with intangible parts of yourself in order to improve the very tangible parts of yourself, the things which are so, you know, they're vastly it is, it, powerful. It's absolutely a psychological uh, improvement. And, and that's one of the things we talked about last time we talked, we had a podcast where I said that the, what is the benefit of joining a lodge? It, there definitely is a psychological improvement if you take the more allegory uh, allegorical, excuse me, allegorical approach to the symbols that you are taught. Um, so yeah, you definitely have to go to the moral, to the psychological, to then show the physical change that you are going through, be it uh, losing weight, or being a better husband, or being a better father, or any of these things that we try to tout that masonry helps us do. But I want to go back to darkness for a second and how it's not negative and how it shouldn't be taken as that literal form of the void, the negativeness. La the, belle de vie, oui. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> La belle de vie, yeah, I have that often. <laughs> I think it's New Jersey. <laughs> Maybe part of it. <laughs> I don't know. It may be part of it. <laughs> um, I think that, and you said this actually in our little chat, the darkness grounds us. It brings us back to realize that we are not divine, that we should not be gatekeepers. It reminds us that we have, as the, um, the bias meter calls it, the curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge is a bias wherein one person, say you're a PhD in physics, okay? The curse of knowledge is that you have this incredible knowledge of whatever your branch of physics is, and now you have to teach it to someone else who isn't a PhD. But in your mind, because you so easily adapted to that situation, you think you can talk to them at the same level. You can't. You know, you, you can't talk to a high schooler about quantum mechanics. 
you know, I mean, there are some. Try to teach a kid something, right? Thermodynamics take us a little bit of learning in math. (laughs) So that that bias is called the curse curse of knowledge. And, And when someone, going back to the light allegory, when someone is so enveloped in this this knowledge this light this truth they need that darkness to go oh wait a second now i have to they have to here's a better word they need to step out of the way of the spotlight to let the light go to someone else i fucking love that because that ties into the you know this this kind of visual journey we're going on in this conversation right if you're in a progressively dark room or better yet it's you know the sun's going down and you look off at the trees at the horizon they're black you can't see detail the only thing you can see in these places is a silhouetted form something that is non-dimensional one-dimensional if nothing else and the detail that you get is very minimal if anything all it's going to do is give you a general sense of direction but if you get on the other side of that tree, right, you can see the setting sun. You can see all of the light moving coming through the, to this place. So my question then to you, you know, looking at this analogy is, what in your experiences has moved you out of the spotlight? Well, what has brought you to these places? What, what's taken you into the darkness, to these points of introspection? I think personally, um, it goes back to that, that curse of knowledge thing where I try to explain something. Being a father would be a great example. You know, you're trying to teach your your children something. It doesn't matter what, to just to be a person, you know, just to understand how it is to live in society. And you have these preconceived notions of this is how you're supposed to act when uh, in social situations, or it's supposed to act when you're going to the bathroom. You don't just leave the door open like a barn and drop your drawers and go. Like, come on, there's a little bit of, <laughs> there's, you know, so it's that. It, it's it's that something like that where it's like all right I n- I now need to take the light that I had and turn around away from it and give it to someone else or metaphorically move out of the way to let that light shine onto whomever it is I'm teaching uh, at work perhaps you know you you work you have a technical job so when you have a new trainee come in you know how to you know code something in CSS for for instance. And you know that, you know, if you put a, a semicolon over here, it's going to screw up the entire design, but they don't know that. And now you have to essentially dumb yourself down, get out of the spotlight for a second, get out of the warmth of the light, step back into the darkness of being that neophyte and, and explaining to them, all right, this is why. And not explaining to them at a level up here, but going back down to their level and explaining to them why it's necessary so that both of you can get back to that point of up here. And it's like, yeah, why'd you put that semicolon there? Duh, it's like first grade stuff, man. Now I'm going to beat you profusely. Exactly. <laughs> the beatings will continue until morale improves. It's, it's the way, <laughs> right? Well, so I think what's interesting for me was when you're talking about that, what, what I think back to both the lodge and the degree and in our conversation, right, is this, this purpose for continuous contact. There's officers stationed all throughout the lodge at all parts of a degree that at any point in time could and do speak and create sound and create motion. But what you're learning in that space, what you're able to receive from that space is very minimal compared to that which you, the, the trust and faith you give into your dear conductor. Right. Every step you take once you you have received that uh, that that darkness, 
is you're a little scared. It, it, it's a, oh, it's a step yeah. further in darkness. I think my, my brothers gave me such shit because apparently I had such a stupid look on my face because I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. I didn't really know what was going to happen here. And I remember the only thing like distinctively, I remember the hand on my shoulder. I, I, I remember my guide. I remember my guard. And that, that actually even takes me into another one. So when you look at high magic or ritualistic magic, there's a process of opening the gate. And it's always done through the process, the invocation of three things, a guardian, a guide, and an ordeal. This ordeal is a scary shit. It doesn't matter what it is. Oftentimes, you know, mythology classifies it as like the open jaws of a snake. You're physically dying. It's the scary thing. It's the we're going to hang you from the bridge, whatever. But on one side of you, you have your guardian who will protect you. And on the other side, you have your guide who will lead you. And it is only through the invocation of these three things can you actually go through the ordeal? Can you actually travel through the gate? So when you look at within Lodge and within life, right, we go through these different threshold points where you have to learn. But at all point in time, as the good, as the good Christians would say, it's in God's way. It's in God's will, right? You have to follow. You know, you're not brought here without purpose. There is someone here to help you, right? Foot, the footprints poem. Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, yeah. I, I, re- I love it. You know, it's it's a beautiful piece of poetry. It, it is a beautiful piece of poetry, even though it's obviously written by someone else that has nothing to do with the actual Bible. But it is a beautiful <laughs> piece of, of reassuring poetry to to understand that your faith is guiding you in whatever the, as you say, ordeal is. And also, I'd like to point out now, I don't know how the ritual is done in your state. But here in New Jersey, it is only the senior deacon that guides you around the room. It's one person. He guides he guide you by holding your arm. I recently was at the uh, Oklahoma Indian Masonic Master Mason degree. I still hate you, by the way. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, and we, I got to witness Oklahoma's opening and Oklahoma's you know, first half of the Master Mason degree. Both of their stewards conducted the candidate by holding his hand, both of them. So as you just said, you had a guide and a guard. So I wonder if they took some inspiration from something like that. You know, because I think there's something, especially when you get into the differences, right, of how different degrees and different rituals are performed, right? There is the same story, the same analogy, the same lessons being given and taught, but you're going to receive them in different ways. Uh, when I would look at, you know, the, the need of darkness in many spaces is to drive and create a gear, uh, almost like a forced introspection. You know, even if it's just you know, like close your eyes at night and you're the only one in bed or better yet, you're laying there, your wife or other significant other is next to you. The minute you close your eyes, you are alone. The minute you die, right? Whatever, even you know, any of these moments you blink. These are all solitary moments that the only thing which unites you with the rest of them is when your eyes are open. But when you close your eyes and you're in this darkness again, right, it's it's up to you to decide what is and what is not, which is really fucking terrifying personally, because my mind is not a fun place, right? No. I, I, I don't trust it to do anything outside of fuck me. You know, it's not a good, it's not a good time. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it, you know, sleep is the cousin of death, as they say. So closing your eyes, you, you are truly alone. You are, you are by yourself. You may be able to hear your partner, hear your kids, hear other things going around you, touching your blankets, 
smelling your animals, smelling maybe the, the, the shampoo that your partner uses or something like that, but you are still in here, in your mind, in your own sanctum sanctorum, you know, because that's what it is. You have Ooh. your 33 steps going down. Listeners, write that down. <laughs> that's apathy. He, he, he had the line. I have to give him credit for it. Um, but as he said, 33 degrees, 33 steps in your spine to your own sanctum sanctorum. And this is the closest thing you have to the most high. Anyway, I think that you can make that darkness, the, the self-induced darkness, be it through closing your eyes or getting a hoodwink put on, or even like, like a surprise birthday party. You can make that darkness warm and inviting because you know that that darkness is preparing you to, under, to, to be surprised, to be instructed in something new, to be shown light. And it, it, is, it in its of, of itself is its own guide. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's its own thing. It is its own, like we make the joke about how I'm so depressed I'm screaming into the void. Well, does the void answer back? <laughs> Does, does the void answer back? If it doesn't, then you, the void just accepts everything. Like Mother oh. Earth. The void oh, just like takes that. it all in. Now, here, here's another thing, and a more scientific approach. Colors. Colors is the, the broken up, colors, the electromagnetic spectrum, all of that is the broken up field of what we receive from the sun, what, we, what light is. What is darkness? It's a combination of all those colors. Mm -hmm. It's the absorption of all of those colors. It, it takes. Even in magical practice, that's, that's, not, that's uh, incarnate, right? You wear black as a protection because it has this absorbing quality to it, right? It, it, you know, it, it has this aspect that it will take in anything. Right. And so through your wards, through your symbolism, right, black is, is an alpha color versus white is an omega color. Right. You know, one of them will dominate. The other will alleviate or free. You know, this is like one of them will contain them all. The other will set them all out. It, it's, it's almost in the same vein. Black is almost inviting and comfortable because it, it, it does absorb. As you said, it's a shield for the high, for high magic, whereas white pushes away. It doesn't want you near it because it could, in, in the case of, of actual physical sunlight, it harms you. You're not supposed to be this close to me. You can get somewhat close, but you're not supposed to be this close. Even if you look at biblical scripture, when the angels appeared or when Jesus appeared after his resurrection, everyone was blinded. They couldn't gaze upon the holies of holies. So what do you think the connection then lies in between, you know, the, the symbolism between, you know, white representing not only innocence, you know, the blemishless, but right. If you look at the apron as the proverbial incredibly Western idea. Yes. No. And I do, I do not disagree with that, but let's, let's bend the Western form and, 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 you know, wheel a little bit, a little bit more towards these. Let's complete the circle. Okay. If we were to say that, you know, as builders, we wear our aprons, not just as modes of recognition, but in fact, as something to protect us, right, to shield us. The fact that we wear white, um, in, in certain cases, different lodges wear gloves to protect your actions to your hands, etc. But your your apron, right, it's declared to be white as, as a sovereign sign. 
Why do you think we use that if we were to remove this aspect of the blemishless Christian form of Snow White Lamb? That's that's a good question because immediate, immediately for our minds, and even in the ritual, that's the reason we wear it. It is it is pure. It's innocence. It's it's the the naivete of the individual of not knowing that um, what's coming next. You're given a white apron when you are raised. I mean, well, excuse me. When you're when you're an EA, you're given a white apron right there. And uh, you know what? You're making me think because one of the, actually the very first speech I gave when I became worshipful master, I have a traveling apron. It's not the one that I was given when I became an EA. That is stored away and that's not gonna come out until the day I get put in the ground. Um, so I bought a, a traveling apron and it got dirty. It got stains on it and I didn't clean it. It's wrinkled and I didn't clean it because I wanted to show, especially during this first speech that we are not perfect. We are flawed. We have to get our hands dirty in order to do the work. But so I don't know where white stands. I mean, at least in, in Japanese culture, white is typically, is, is typically assigned to almost demons and to like the yokai and things like that. So yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I don't like when you go to a funeral, in at least as far as I understand it in Japan, you are to wear black, not white. You're not supposed to be, you know, white is a, is a symbol, or excuse me, I had that backwards. You're supposed to wear white, not black, because white is a symbol of the afterlife. I don't know where that comes up in Shinto or in any of the mythology like that. So well, I, I, I think about it on a certain level when you describe, you know, that it, it creates, because you said naivety and you consider innocence. Well, you're not innocent, right, later in life right? You're only innocent at a very small period in time in your life. In fact, you're victim in Christian uh, mythology to all of the dominion of hell and heaven when you can comprehend right and wrong, which then distinguishes you from white and black, good and evil. So to consider that as, as you know, on level, as, as men, we take on this, this sign of innocence. I'll be honest. I've never met a brother who was innocent. You know, <laughs> I'm like, nah, man, you're like, yeah, you wearing that dress was underneath, right? Like flash me. But it, it's a really unique symbol to take on. But when I consider what you described before, right, the, the allegorical, but even let's talk about the real scientific, we wear white outside in the sun to protect us from the sun. Now, you want to stay cool. You want to reflect the light. You want to spare your body, your skin. Well, you, 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 you insulate yourself with the thing which would absorb all of it, not just draw in one singular dimension to it. So I think it's interesting that in death, Mason say, you know, the, our, our apron, this first gifted apron, we, you know, we will lay it over this body. We will lay it over this space. So there, there's a very interesting ritual supposed to it. It's, it, it, it is, it is, it's when it comes, at least when it comes to clothing, it is a natural sunblock because you're using light to repel light in that way. You're not using darkness to repel it. You're using light to repel light. See that, that just, that, that, that tracks like real esoteric for me. You know, it's, it's, not it's, it's, I mean, it, I mean, if you really want to play with that, that theme light to repel light, you can think of it in the way of like, Take just right now, today on TikTok, Brother Fluff and I have been having conversations all day, both on TikTok and through Messenger. 
comparing different things. And the biggest upset today was he put up a video about Henry Ford. Um, and Henry Ford, as great of a man as he was, he did all this innovation for the American people. He did great for the American workers and all this other stuff. He was also a horrible anti-Semite. You know, yeah. he propagated the protocols of Elder Zion. So the two of us, Fluff and I, went back and forth agreeably. We weren't yelling at each other, agreeably saying like, yes, he did do these great things, but you also have to realize that he was problematic, much like any other man. Not that he's special, just he was the example that was being used. Right. So in that respect, that was light repelling light in my mind, because both of us were true. Both of our points of view were 100% true. Brother Fluff with his all of his positive things and me coming back and saying, yeah, well, he also was this, that, and the other thing. He was mentioned in the book by the man with the funny mustache. By <laughs> but it was light repelling light. Both of us were telling truths about one individual or one subject in this case. Neither one of us were wrong, but they were opposite ends of the spectrum. Obviously, Brother Fluff with his very positive aspect and mine with a very negative aspect of a same individual. So it's interesting that you wouldn't repel light with darkness. It, even though it sounds like, you know, you're fighting evil and I'm the righteous white knight and I'm fighting the black knight, you know, things like that. That, that kind of image comes to your mind of, of heroics. It's actually not true when you think about it in, in the realm of either high magics, even D&D, &D, um, uh, or, or scientific. White doesn't repel white, or white does repel white, black doesn't, black absorbs it all. I'm like, yeah, that's, the, that's where it gets me, right? It's because it's it almost like there's, there's a proper path when you consider if you want to break the cycle. In Buddhism, we talk about this, where it's about you know, limiting yourself from the karmic swing. You know, it is not about attaching yourself to anything being good or anything being bad, but to observe a point of neutrality where you buy, you can allow the black to become white, white to become black, because this is, if it is white, if it is light, it will become dark, it will become black, it will, you know, it's a guaranteed exchange. The only way you can effectively win or, or not, not that we're looking to declare supremacy, right, but it's to declare truth, right, and there is a sovereign truth to the nature of all things, and it is not all good nor is it all bad no no it's not you, you can take the taoist approach of shit happens it's going to happen just let it go push it on so in the same vein uh as we've been talking uh i heard a piece um written by a brother uh by brother ken uh St i butchered that last name and on the site called the midnight freemason um, this site is uh, helped run by Brother Robert Johnson, who is a education officer in Illinois. He's a host of the windings of um, the Masonic Roundtable. He has his own podcast called Whence Came You. You may enjoy it a lot because it's very esoteric at times. Oh, I love it. In fact, I mean, you, 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 know, you mentioned the roundtable, baby. I'm a knight. <laughs> but this, um, this particular article is called Reclaiming the Rejected Stone. Now that phrase has a little bit more meaning if you've gone through the York Rite system of degrees, but it would still it still makes sense in a allegorical. So allow me, if you would, to read from it. In my contemplations, I often I often think about the lodge as a representation of my inner being, 
the physical world is outside, and the only thing that can enter are materials to build my temple, before it thoughts, commitments, or experiences. The metal tools of the profane can only be applied to such things before they become part of us. Of course, we don't vet such visitors most of the time. We allow socialization, propaganda, and attacks against us of all sorts to seep in. They become a part of us whether we want them to or not. It's too late to work on what might have, should have, or could have been. After a while, we must establish a refuse pile. Some might say this is our subconscious, those things we don't want to think about or deal with. But what if it's more of a storehouse? After all, I have a basement of tools, some of which I may never use. But surprisingly, there are times I am glad I didn't throw something away. It could be a scrap of wood, a bent screwdriver that can still pry things, or that odd piece of hardware that just happens to fit a project my wife wants me to do unexpectedly. And then there's trauma, there's hurt. There are the judgments of when we weren't good enough or embarrassed or just win, didn't win at a game we invested a lot of emotion and energy into. There are regrets. What if at least one of those stones was crafted by the great architect for a purpose we as yet do not know? What if no matter how unsquare or unfitting by our human judgment, a stone is, there's some important place for it anyway. Before raising an arch, you might not comprehend what a keystone is. You don't know where it came from or why. Was it a mistake or part of some greater plan by someone greater than ourselves? What if that time we messed up or, we, or were betrayed or burned with unrequainted love wasn't part of our plan, but a part of a plan made for us? What if surviving some terrible thing imbued us with the strength to overcome a hardship later in life? What if our painful times of need made us more charitable to other people's hurt or needs? What if those stones are already holding up arches, making our character better throughout a life that may not as well lived without them? Maybe it's time to go through my rubbish pile looking for that one stone that is ugly, imperfect, or just plain doesn't make sense. Maybe it's the key to something or someone I need more than I realize. Maybe the pegboard of the soul is God's trestle board. And it's my job to learn to put everything in its proper place, to figure out what each item is for, or have faith that there's a reason for everything. Then when my task comes, I will know where to find the right tools and the material I plan to reject, maybe even my very self, will become something of strength, wisdom, and beauty. And drop the mic. Oh. Again, that was written uh, by Brother Ken Skajinski. I, I know I ruined that. He is from West Seneca Lodge, number 1111. He recently served as master of Kenton Lodge, number 1186. And he's a webmaster for NewYorkMasons.org. Oh, shit. All right. All right. Throw in the shout outs. I love that. We'll put links down below. Yep. So I'll, I'll send you that link so you can forward that through. Um, but yeah, that was read off by Robert Johnson on Whence Came You. And I think the idea of the rubbish pile, the idea of darkness being behind us, but still useful. 
still being still being able to connect with someone who may be profane in the way if we you know bring the microcosm down to TikTok, we we get those individuals who come in here with these inane conspiracy theories. But if we reach back into that rubbish pile of things that we've had to deal with or that darkness from which we came, we can bring that forward and go, yeah, I remember thinking like that. And this is why it changed. Or here's the tool to help guide you and correct your own stone. So what I really see in this space, and granted, I'm not, I have not taken any of the York Wright degrees. Um, I, I'm, I'm a Blue Lodge boy, and I, part of me is really at, you know, active that that's like, that's just, that's where and I that, want to that, be. That's really good. No, seriously, it needs it. You know, I, I think about it to a certain degree to imagine that nothing, and because I was going through proficiencies with another one of my brothers before we got on the call, and one of the things that we, he, he asked me a question and I'm like, well, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a high likelihood that that's intended by what, why it was written that way, because nothing is intent, nothing is done in any degree in life, in actuality, in lodge, without it being intentional. When you consider the temple, all the temple is, is a percentage of resistance to the natural laws, which inevitably will be overcome. We know the temple was destroyed, is destroyed. We know that you were born and as such, you will die that you understand things and that inevitably you will come to things that you don't. And so looking into this space that it is not a matter of you determining which of all of the things you experienced should be kept or not kept, but to understand that all things brought to you are a part of the process. You know, they are part of the tools you are given, the rubble you will have to go through to find the secret, to find the thing which will inevitably allow you to erect the next temple. It, this, this makes my ashlar hard, brother. Like, Damn. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think that, I mean, you could go in all kinds. I, it, thank God Pax isn't on this pod, podcast because it would oh, take fuck. all goddamn year. <laughs> you know, he'd be having a ball with this subject. Um, oh, dude, without fail. Paxton, <laughs> I love him to death. And every time I get into a car, I, I think that's why I lost my lives because I kept going into chats with him. And he's like, these motherfuckers talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> him him and soul magic the two of them man you want to get on the esoteric streak you guys are it's it's out there with those two guys Oof, man you'll you'll catch it man you'll catch a vibe and you're like suddenly i can't yes. let go yes uh, pax for me personally pax does that all the time like i'll be scrolling i'll see something he does and all of a sudden it's like you you i want you to listen to me you know but yes like this kind of subject this is the fun stuff for me like i don't i'm not completely invested in the more esoteric stuff i like reading about it it's really cool to kind of connect some of these ideas and whatnot and make these assumptions but like i said in our first podcast i'm a logistics guy i want you know paperwork in front of me signed sealed delivered <laughs> he's the practical builder I, I am. I'm the practice. I want my plans. I want them laid out. I want those ashlers perfect. And that keystone does have use. Okay. But you know what? There, there's a really important part, especially if you consider the three ancient masters. And I think this is really important, right? You know, there's strength, wisdom, and beauty. Beauty to adorn, wisdom to contrive, strength to support. And if you can't figure that shit out, right? It, you know, because I'll be honest, I've had the esoteric conversations both with me and the multiple voices in my head, and then alike with all of the individuals <laughs> that I catch on the outside. And nothing good comes of them until somebody practical comes into the situation. They hear that education and lodge that night, and they'll catch me afterwards and like, you know, 
something you said just hit and I'm like, yes, I don't know what the fuck to do with it. So I'm glad you did. I always roll back and I'm like, I imagine, you know, Solomon, Hiram and Hiram were sitting there just like getting shit faced quite regularly. Bouncing ideas off each other. Smoking the sacred herb. Like, let's just. Whatever it was. They had that good frankincense. Um, <laughs> the good, you good, know? right? You know, like I got, I got that myrrh. I got that myrrh from Tyre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, well, it's so it's so incredible when you consider that's the depth of the analogy, right? Is, is there is a practical aspect to all things? And this is what gets me in magic. And inevitably, I remember seeking Solomon's uh, when I read I read the Testament of Solomon in the, in the brass vessel, and I started getting it more into the higher magic. You know, pissed I was when I came across the secret that the brass vessel is you, it's your mind. You know, it, I was like, this is bullshit. I was ready to buy the plane ticket and go digging. Like, I, I wanted it to be so physical. I wanted it to be so real in, in, in regards to tangent. Yeah, and I, I feel that, at least with esoterics, that's where people fail. Like alchemy, for instance. Mm-hmm. You, had the, you had individuals that were doing it for the... The precursor to chemistry honestly but then you had the other aspect of people literally trying to turn lead into gold it's like oh wait 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 i think you missed a point no, go back to lecture two you dope like that's the soul full metal alchemist brotherhood oh god that's an incredible series the door of truth and that whole end thing between ed and truth at the end summarizes everything it, it hit it's such hard. A beautiful story, such a beautiful story, and I recommend it to even if you're not an anime fan. If you just like a good developed story, the 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 trials and tribulations of the Elric brothers are fascinating, and the conversations that the brother, both brothers Elric, the dwarf and the flask, and Hohenheim have with truth, with that being. Yeah. Oh, dude. It, it, I mean. It's the double-ended dicking we go for. High-level magic. <laughs> okay, no, that's what got me, man. Is because the, the 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 level of like, I would watch an episode, I'd watch something, and I'd be like, these motherfuckers, right? Like, it's so heavily tied into an actual practice or a current seeking. I was like, how many kids are watching this and they have no idea, but yet the impressions oh, are being it's, made. It's a shonen anime. They're just there for the explosions. But like, yeah, but to to us, and you're sitting there and you're seeing little like. Take, for instance, the character Scar. We go back to the light and darkness aspect of it. Char- the character Scar. He starts off, and his one whole arm is tattooed with a destructive um, pattern, a destructive rune all the way up his arm. And all he can do with that hand is destroy things. And not until later on in the story, when he finds out that his brother, through a different form, as they say, um, alkahestry in the show, finds a different pattern he then tattoos that on his other arm and uses that to create the pattern on his one arm is all black darkened tribal tattoos with arrows pointing down the the positive is open tattoos just line work with arrows pointing in It's little things like that that the artist did. I, I don't remember the artist's name who actually created the manga. Little things like that that they did that make you go, he was reading stuff. Like he knew, he, she knew the proper you know, terminology, the proper 
things to do. Like in, this in isn't sense. bullshit. This was intentional. On some level, yeah. this was intentional. So here's here's something that, you know to connect this to the, to our previous chat and part of this, where I think it comes full circle for me is when you are in the darkness, you may think very much that you are following the light of stars that will inevitably be accessible to you. The reality is you will never reach them. But when you are seeking, you will find something. If you were in a dark room and you're fumbling around, you are feeling, you are looking, you are searching. It doesn't matter if it's in an anime, a manga, in lodge, in life, in your relationships. If you are searching for light, you will find it. Don't stop fumbling. You'll eventually find the light switch. My wife would disagree with you. <laughs> Listen, I can only trip over the dog so many times. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm going to hear that. Um, so, brother, as we come to the, the roundabout space, what do we want to leave our viewers with? What, what more so for the mental self are we going to leave on their plate tonight? I like the idea that you brought up dealing with karma. And the Buddhist aspect of it, Buddhist, right? Buddhism, is mm -hmm. that what it was? Yeah. Um, that you should not prescribe ideas. Nothing is good, nothing is bad. Everything is. And that you should just accept this type of knowledge and that type of knowledge and go a very, a very wushu type style of just letting the ebb and flow. As Bruce Lee said, you must be like water. You have to, you know, water can flow and water can crash. Water takes the shape of any container it is in. And, and it's that idea of going back to darkness and light. Do not put the identity of, of light being ultimate truth. That there's still some, there still might be some harsh things in there that you need to go back to the darkness, to retreat back to the darkness, to shade yourself from the harmful aspect of light. Mm, mm, that's some night table stuff right there Listen, it is midnight by me right now i could keep going but we we're cheap and we have the 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 non-paid for version of zoom <laughs> we run we running out you would it's like this this may or may not be the second to third time we've done this you don't ever know thank you post Seven part series <laughs> shit if you mason's never shut the fuck up but masonic goodbye is 25 minutes in a parking lot three cigarettes later <laughs> cigarettes you smoke cigarettes shit we're cheap welcome I'll to the midwest two and a half cigars before i leave fuck me man i would be flying home that was the best part about colorado i tell you what is like i would smoke weed uh at lodge not not in lodge for anyone i know i know i mean this was this was after this fellowship this was not on lodge property though in colorado it is legal but we just shot the shit right and getting to really engage in this space man talk about find the light baby i was it was like gandalf pipe it was a it was a good social fucking time. Social lubricant. I don't know how many conversations this has opened up, especially when it comes to the idea of the almighty and how, you know, my idea is it's everywhere and we can't define it. Very deist type thing. The more I have this, the bigger a philosopher I become. Uh, so, that's that's paramount to human the human condition. <laughs> the drug... I really wished, I, I, I wanted to have a surprise for you tonight as we close out this episode. Um, Brother Kevin, Kevin Cotter, my, my co-host on the Extended Branch, he uh, had, he, was, he and his band, because he's a band director, were at a prom tonight and they were ending around 10 o'clock and I invited him to this chat and I had hoped that he would have made a surprise appearance, but listen, he's probably beat 
and he probably went straight home. We're going to get him eventually, even, even if I just have to show up at Lodge to talk to our organist emeritus. Like, oh, ow, 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 stop. <laughs> he'd be like, no, no, harder. <laughs> well, brother, I can't begin to say how much I appreciate your time on this chat and in this conversation. Lord knows I fucking love these. These are, these are the conversations I live for. And likewise, I'm, I'm going to make it down to Olive Branch Lodge, if nothing else, to, to, to check out this backdrop that's not CGI. I'm like, Fuck me, man. This is everything this I can hope real for. Background. This is really, I'm holding on. These are real books that I'm moving. <laughs> There's <laughs> this probably is... spirits walking around going, why the fuck is he still at Lodge? Like, um, oh, God, don't even get me started on the answers. Well, you, that'll be our conversation for next time. This will be the ghosts in Freemasonry, the historic and ancestors within the Lodge. Brother, have a wonderful night. Thank you so much for joining me. Be well.